Welcome to the inaugural episode of Intentional Balk. It's season one, episode one. I'm your host, Lou Landers. You can find me on the Suicide Squeeze Baseball Show, Lucas Baseball Podcast, and every Friday night series, XM211 Sports Overnight America. Joined here by my co-host, Mark Mancini, the madman. XM, he calls him the world's worst handicapper. Whoever he picks, you take the other side, folks. Mark, pumped to get this going with you, man. How you doing? Wow, I'm doing great, man. It's always nice to, you know, join forces with the XM boys. And boy, I'll tell you, your show picking up steam, man. I'll tell you, you're a godsend, my friend. And I'm blessed to do this with you. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Intentional balk. Lots of baseball talk we'll have for you. Of course, some football sprinkled in. Any other big news every Monday night. Uh, show should be released around... 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll try to stick to that. On today's episode, diving into some hot topics around Major League Baseball, and we'll give you some bold predictions to sit with as well. Let's start with the seven-inning header. Do you like this concept, Mark? Is this a yes? Is, is this a no? Why? Why not? I think it sucks, personally. And, you know, I'm going to speak for some of my good friends who are really into baseball. I think it, it just knocks out some of the records. I think it, you know, uh, when you look at the starting pitchers now, you're so used to, you know, in the days of going, you know, seven innings and turn it over to, you know, a Raleigh Fingers or a Bruce Suter. Now you got bullpens by committee. I think now, you know, it just short changes the game. Uh, what happens in an extra inning thing? Do you stop it? And, you know, it ends in a tie. I mean, are we going to get into the hockey thing? What used to be, I, I, I personally, I'm totally against it. I don't know what your thoughts are on Lewis. Well, we'll get to extra innings in just a little bit here, because that's interesting <laughs> that you brought that up. But it's funny. Maybe it's because we're from a little bit of some different generations. I kind of think it's a good concept. Uh, 14 innings versus 18 innings, much less taxing on the body of the players. Certainly makes a big difference from bullpen management. Keep those guys healthy. And as much as I want to see as much baseball as possible, because I love it, you love it, that's why we're here right now, I think it's a good way to keep the attention of the fans who aren't as dedicated. Those fans that are younger, the younger generation, they have the smaller attention span. Games are shorter. They can get two in in 14 innings. And I do think it changes the strategy up a little bit in a good way, because we're so used to nine innings. Well, you bring up an interesting point as well. The sport has, you know, been pretty much put on a respirator for quite a while. We saw, you know, in 94, the slogan was chicks dig the long ball. And Bud Selig was sitting there when you had McGuire and Sosa going back and forth, chasing each other. And then he basically threw everybody under the bus into the steroid issue. Uh, you're looking at some, I think there's more uh, better ways to rejuvenate this game. Uh, by either, you know, putting some of these small market teams in one division so they can compete, uh, maybe have like 1981, a first half, a second half winner. Then you can put, you know, your boys along with the Dodgers and everybody in a billion dollar division. And whoever doesn't get uh, on top, well, next year they spend uh, another billion to get the, you know, cut the gap on that the team that won that division. But I think you need to do something. I think people are tired of the bobbleheads in some of these cities. I mean, being a Pittsburgh boy, you know, my Pirates, you know, a few years back were chasing down the Cardinals. Then they had to chase down the Cubs, the Brewers, the Reds. 
you know, it's the division's been the SEC, the National League Central, so a one-game playoff screwed them, even though they had to run into some, you know, thoroughbreds, you know, in, in, in Arietta and Baumgartner. So I think, you know, we got to do something to get the sport going. Some of these teams are out of it by Easter. Uh, I think you need to, you know, get going in a different direction other than just the seven-inning doubleheaders. Let's get small market divisions. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, I've always thought a realignment could be good for a number of reasons, certainly more competitive balance. Uh, However, I'm not sure that's going to necessarily do what I was suggesting in bringing in a younger fan. Um, I think the whole idea of the pitch clock and the amount of times you can go visit the mound, I don't think those are working either. I understand I wanted to speed up the game. My biggest problem is baseball is not supposed to be timed. I mean, if you right. like baseball, it could be two hours and 10 minutes if it's a one nothing quick game pitchers duel. And it could be four and a half hours like the Yankees and the Red Sox seem to play all the time. But back to the actual concept of the seven inning doubleheader. Uh, for me, I, I talked about the bullpens. I talked about keeping players healthy. It also changes how long you leave your starting pitcher in. I mean, a lot of times you want your pitcher to give you six, seven so you don't wear down on the bullpen. You get five from your starter. All of a sudden you need two from a bullpen, you might be able to get two pitchers through that game. Um, Obviously, that strongly benefits teams with good bullpens, hurts the ones with the bad bullpens. But, I mean, good bullpens are going to help you throughout 162. I don't think it's going to make a difference. Um, Of course, also, how many more doubleheaders do we expect to see? Obviously, they're going to happen. I think last year with COVID, it was a lot bigger. It was kind of a big spectacle because you had to jam in all these games. Now, it's not like they're going to be scheduling these doubleheaders in advance. It's in the case that something gets rained out, if there is something that happens with COVID. So they're not jam-packing the entire schedule. I don't think we see it as much, which I also think will make it that much more special. Well, not only that, I don't know if you remember last year, I think the Cardinals had to go 11 straight days of playing games, and they had like three doubleheaders. They spent like a week in Chicago playing the White Sox and Cubs, if you recall. I do, I do. That was uh, that was a disaster. I remember because uh, it was uh, Jack Flaherty, there, uh, the ace for the Cardinals owner yeah. in fantasy baseball, and I was pulling my hair out. I drafted him as my ace, and then all of a sudden he doesn't play for 11 games, and then they're playing so much, so many doubleheaders, he can't pitch as often as I was hoping to have a pitch. Um, so it was a disaster from that standpoint, too. No, it was. And I think that's what snuck up on a lot of teams. And, you know, and when you looked at the other teams, too, uh, you know, the Marlins had gotten hot. The Padres lost two key starters in their series with the Dodgers. I think, you know, not not to not, you know, and, you know, be the most hated man here in Los Angeles. But I think the Dodgers snuck up on a lot of teams. Uh, you know, the division, they only had the San Diego Padres in there. They, they took on a Milwaukee Brewers unit that looked more like a mash unit. Their hitters were down, Yelich and Braun. And, you know, the Padres kind of, you know, you know, came with a, a handicap mentality with, you know, playing a physical series with the Cardinals there, coming back and then having two of their starters down. And, you know, and I don't know what happened to Atlanta, man. They seem to forgot how to play baseball after, you know, four games having, having the Dodgers down three games to one. How do you not finish that? But then maybe you got to ask the city of Baltimore because my hometown Pirates did it to Baltimore twice in 71 and 79. 
Oh, man. I mean, teams, they can't finish out. You don't have to get me started. As good as the Yankees have been, I'm still haunted by 2004, man. That uh, disaster that led to Boston uh, ending that curse. Let's move over to the man on second base to start extra innings. This is a rule that definitely takes some getting used to. I'm not used to it yet. Are you used to it? Do you like it at all? Is there anything to like about this rule? Well, I'm going to steal uh, a, a quote Bill Manlock told me in an interview. And he said, putting a guy at second base in extra innings is like playing softball. And I'm going to put this right up there with the, uh, I believe it was the 1980s when the Chicago White Sox wore shorts. I didn't need to see Ralph Gar's legs. Uh, but uh, this this is a bad thing. I mean, I don't understand why they're going to do this to speed up the game, but putting a guy at second base, I think we're playing softball rules here, if you ask me, and I'll, I'll stick with Bill Madlock. Yeah, I absolutely hate this rule, so we can agree on this for sure. Uh, only thing worse than this would be if they actually started saying, oh, let's end games in a tie. I mean, again, the beautiful part about baseball, yeah. it's not timed. Football, soccer, hockey, basketball. There's a limit. Yeah, well, Baseball, we don't have well, that limit. Well, not only that, I think, wasn't it C-League was the one that said, I'm tired, I want to go home, let's just stop the All-Star game, and it was tied? Yeah, but again, why are we <laughs> trying to rush through a baseball game? Especially when, realistically, to me, as a big baseball fan, extra inning games are the most exciting that we can get every season. They end up being the best games. Well, I remember covering the Padres uh, in 96 through 98 and the Padres went to Philly. I remember it was on a Friday night and Philly had a fireworks show. I think they, they, they the game ended. I, I don't know how many innings it went. I think it went 16, 17 innings. The game ended at four 30 in the morning, Philadelphia time. So can you imagine they had the fire? They tried to do the fireworks show after that. At like five in the morning, and uh, the old, I believe it was the old vet. Can you, I mean, it's crazy, but I can remember, and you probably can remember the Braves and the Mets playing on July 4th in, in a 20 something inning game. Yeah, that's the game I, mean, I was thinking about until you brought up that story. Yeah. That's funny. I, I'm just thinking about all those poor uh, Philadelphia residents getting woken up before their alarm yeah. clocks with all those fireworks. Uh, and when you start an inning, with a guy on second base. And of course it depends on the style of your manager. But to me, I think a lot of these teams are playing for that one run. So you bunt the player over, you sack fly, you get your run. And that's boring to me. It gets tiresome. Also, do you really want to see a team win in extras without recording a hit? Because essentially no, you're, that's you're, what you're doing. Think, you're allowing teams to win games without recording a hit in extra innings by giving them a free runner on second base. You might as well just give them a runner on third base with one out. Right. Well, it, it's it's kind of like that. We've seen a couple pitchers. I think Mark Gardner was one because I, I I was blessed two days later to see Dennis Martinez throw a perfect game against the Dodgers when he was with Montreal. But you're talking about winning a game with no hits. I think the Dodgers had beaten the Expos two days prior to that. Didn't Mark Gardner like pitch nine innings of a no hitter and then lost it in a 10th inning or something or with, with no hits or something. It was weird, but the Dodgers manufactured a run and we, we and you can go back to when Rich Hill had something going in Pittsburgh a couple Rich of years Hill. ago. You know, Rich Hill's uh, 
has a deal with with the Rays, right? He's uh he's going to be in their rotation potentially. You know, he is the most intellectual guy you'll ever meet. I mean, he is really a smart guy. I mean, if he wasn't playing baseball, he could probably uh, be part of NASA. If you've ever talked to that guy, really. I have not had the privilege, but I've heard many things about his uh about his intelligence, and I mean, he's gotten better with age. Um, he's been fantastic, yeah. and he's gonna. He's, I think, a perfect pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays because we were talking before we got on the air, um, kind of about what the situation with the Rays and Kevin Cash and not, you know, giving his guys length. Well, you don't want Rich Hill to give you length. You want four innings from Rich Hill. He's the perfect guy to give an opener to, bring him in, get three to five quality innings. Because he'll do that for you. His problem is durability, is staying healthy. But if he gives you 85 innings, they're going to be 85 very solid innings. Well, and not only that, he's got character. I mean, look at, look at, he's humble. He, you know, he went back to the single A. I think it was in New York, New Jersey. Uh, played with those teams, pulled himself through it through the injuries and everything, and then, you know, was a mainstay with the Dodgers and helping their young, uh, you know, pitchers, and then going on uh, over to Minnesota and stuff. I think he'll really help Tampa Bay in some ways. I mean, when you get a guy like that in the clubhouse, Lou, the first thing I'm going to be doing is trying to absorb everything like a sponge. These guys are far and few between when you look at guys like this, a Clayton Kershaw, a Rich Hill, you know, even a Jacob DeGrom. You, you just try to learn from them on a daily basis. You know, I was watching a little bit of the Cardinals national game yesterday, and their prospect, you know, uh, third baseman, uh, you know, he thought he was going to play this year, and then all of a sudden they made the trade for Nolan Arenado. Oh, Gorman. You're, are you thinking yeah, about Gorman? He, yeah, they're trying it out yeah. in the outfield, though. Yeah, and he was basically saying, even at third base, just to study this guy and absorb it like a sponge. He's got a book on all these guys and stuff. Those are the kind of guys that make it. Those are the kind of guys you want on your team because they're not just enthralled with being up on the major league roster and looking at people in the stands and eating the great food and having the per diems. It's, you know, they're learning. They're continually learning because they know you know, it's hard enough to come up and get up on that mound, and you don't want to roll off overnight. Absolutely. And, I mean, the example I always go to is the impact that J.D. Martinez had on the Boston oh, yeah. Red Sox when he joined that team. That offense went from being very mediocre to suddenly being one of the best in baseball, and they won a world championship. Um, he was just he, – he said it himself last year. He had his struggles because he didn't have the same access to look at the video, to study, to be in the video room, between at-bats. That's a guy that really does his homework, and it, really you can tell how it rubs off on the rest of his teammates. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from with that. And the Arenado one, I mean, if there's a better defensive third baseman, maybe Matt Chapman, maybe. I have not seen it. Yeah, I haven't either. I mean, this guy's not only great defensively, he can put power numbers up. And you know what? Uh, we were talking last week about this. St. Louis is one of those teams. You've seen them over the years. It's a very consistent team. I think they're the, probably the most consistent team in baseball. They don't have the championships the Yankees have or, you know, uh, other teams. But you know what? They get that one guy that keep, keeps them consistent on a year-in, yearly basis. You've seen the Jim Edmonds. You've seen the Matt Holidays. This guy's going to be there for quite a while. And let me tell you something. When Yadier Molina hangs it up, he'll be the next Cardinal manager. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Yadier, I mean, I'm surprised he came back. I, I thought he was done. 
Um, him and Wainwright, I thought they were both done. Uh, Speaking of the National League, though, and the Cardinals, and I really guess the whole National League, this has come up a lot over the years. It was came up last year when we actually got to see it, and that is the DH in both leagues. Is this a yes for you or a no for you? And it's going to be interesting. Before I let you talk, you're a Pirates fan, so you're an NL guy. At least now you are. They used to be in the American League well before my, my time, of course. I'm a Yankees guy. I'm an AL guy. I like the DH. My answer is going to be pretty obvious. I have reasons for it, but it's going to be obvious. I'd be curious to know what you think as an NL guy. Well, on this show, we're going to light the dynamite kegs and light the dynamite sticks. That's what this show must see, must hear. I'm so blessed to do this with you. But I am a National League guy. You called it. You're right. I like the two to one, three to two games. I like those the pitchers. I think when you when you see a National League pitcher go over to the American League, I think he dominates a little bit better compared to when American League comes over to the National League. I will say this. I said this years ago, and I've said this to ex-ball players too. Uh, when I looked at the American League, and it's no disrespect, and, and I'll be perfectly blunt and honest, I look at the American League as a beer league. I mean, it's it, you know you get big boppers over there. It's a, kind of like a softball league. I think the National League doesn't need the DH. I think the National League has stronger teams. I think the American League is starting to cut the gap now. I know people, when I bring this point up, they'll tell me, well, how much the American League dominates in the All-Star game now. But I just think the National League is a much oh, more the All-Star game's game a crock of shit, man. It's one game, yeah, yeah. nine <laughs> innings, where pitchers are throwing one inning. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, but but I, I like I like, I think when you look at it, I think the National League teams, I mean, it just, it just, it's more fun to watch, you know, um, in, in general. I'm, I'm, I'm totally again, we don't need the DH in the National League. Keep it in the American League. Um, but uh, I just think it's a better league. I think it's, 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 a, it's it, you know, they, there's a reason why they call it the senior compared to the junior circuit. So I'm going to just stick with the National League on this. Yeah, so we're going to disagree as I thought. Yeah. Um, I've been an advocate of this for probably 10 years now. So about a third of my life just turned 31 in December. The fact that we got to see it last season might have been the only positive I could actually take away from that COVID-ruined baseball year. Um, Interleague play (laughs) is such a regular occurrence now. So for me, both leagues should play under the same rules. That's a given. But the caliber of play is really what I care about. And I understand your point. It's a good point. Two, one, three, two types of games. But what? Maybe a handful of good hitting pitchers in Major League Baseball. If that, even the worst hitter you can find on every team's bench is a significantly better hitter than any pitcher that's going to be at the plate. So to me, I don't tune into a game to see a pitcher strike out three times in the ninth spot. I don't see a game to have a pitcher hit at all. I want to see a hitter, a guy who gets paid to hit, be up there, go to the plate, and get that quality of bat. And to me, again, maybe it's just the generation I'm in. I don't know. But yes, Jacob DeGrom, he's gone some hits. Madison Bumgarner, gone some hits. I remember Kerry Wood hit a home run back in like 2003 playoffs, I think it was. And those are awesome moments. Bartolo Colon's home run, one of the, the coolest things I've seen because it's Bartolo Colon. You think the guy's going to hit a home run. But those moments are very far and few between. Well, and not only that, you know, the Pirates had a guy, Don Robinson, who could hit. Rick Roden could hit. You got Clayton Kershaw over here. I get, you know, I just think, you know, and, and looking at the National League, I, you know, 
uh, it just seems like it's 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 more of a a, a finesse game. Uh, you you got to be really on. I think what Mike Sosha did uh, by managing the Angels, uh, he brought the small ball. He brought that style to the Angels, if you recall, because that was very uh, uncharacteristic of the American League to play. You're that talking kind of during that 2002 uh, playoff yeah. and World Series, okay? Yeah, it was very uncharacteristic to see that kind of being played in the American League back then, but. You know, I, the National League, I think... Is, By that is, same is token, more... though, Mark, wouldn't you agree that the NL has kind of moved away more and more from small ball because of the existence of the home run and how many we see? Well, I, I, I totally agree with that, and I'll throw you one more. Where is the stolen base gone? That's become obsolete as well. Well, Where it's all that? because of the sabermetrics, man. The advanced analytics say don't run into an out because if you're on base, chances are a guy is going to come up and hit a home run, and it's two runs or three runs for you. So, I mean, I, I understand that side of it. But to me, I mean, manufacturing runs, like that's why, that's why the teams that hit a lot of home runs typically do not succeed in the postseason. Yeah. Because in the, the postseason, the other... that's when they start to get into small ball. Well, and the other thing is, and you're knowledgeable and your expertise, too, is right up there. You know, people tell, and I ask this question to the ex-ball players and stuff, too. I grew up with a game of baseball being pitching 90% of the game. If you had good pitching, it'd stop good hitting. And you could see in 88 when the, the Dodgers stopped the Oakland A's in their tracks. What's your perception or what, what, are, you, what are you basically – uh, thrown up there as far as how, how important is pitching? Now, I've heard people tell me 40% of the game, and I go, wow, you've got that completely wrong. But No, I've I'm always grown to... up. I've grown up always under the impression that good pitching beats good hitting, and I still believe that. The difference is that there's not enough good pitching anymore. Everything is about velocity, how hard can I throw, not about actual pitching and finesse and hitting corners. Everyone looks at velocity now. Just because a guy throws 98, doesn't mean he's good. If he's not throwing 98 and he's locating it, he's going to be really tough to hit. But I'll take a guy throwing 93, throwing on the edge, mixing in a changeup and a slider, than I am with a guy that's a two-pitch pitcher going up there and just throwing gas. Well, and not only that, when you looked at that World Series, Blake Snell had the Dodgers dead to right until Kevin Cash uh, came out there and yanked them. Uh, if he doesn't yank them, who knows what blank, you know, I don't think the Dodgers get off the mat in that game. And then we're rolling a game seven here. Any thoughts to that? I mean, the guy was rolling. I don't know how much longer it would have lasted, but you got to give him a longer rope than that. He's your age. He's a former Cy Young award winner. Yeah. And that's, again, that is analytics though. He got pulled because of analytics and nothing more. It was not a feel. He was not managing with this, with his gut, with a feel for the game. He was managing on the analytics. And the only thing I can say to that is he managed the way he managed all season long. The thing that got them to where they were was the way he managed. So you can't blame the guy for doing what he had done all year to get them to that point. But again, as someone like us looking on our couch at the games, whatever it might be, it's easy to scrutinize it. And yeah, it seems crazy when you look back on it. As I say, hindsight's twenty twenty. People didn't want, don't want to say that anymore. It's of how bad the year of twenty twenty was, but it's true. Hindsight is twenty twenty. And I do believe Kevin Cash is actually a very good manager. I believe he made a mistake, 
But I understand why he made the mistake, and it was because, again, he managed the way he managed all year. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I'm looking at Alex Cora in Boston again, and if I had a choice between Kevin Cash or Alex Cora, I know one's won a World Series, the other one got there, but I don't know. Alex Cora, you know, I think is going to be the difference. I know the Red Sox are lacking pitching, but I think Alex Cora could be the difference of getting them back into contention. I'm not going to say they're going to compete with the Yankees and Jays there, but they will be in the thick of things because Alex Cora is a player's manager. Any thought to that? I mean, I think Alex Cora is a very good manager. I wasn't happy when he went to Boston because of that. Um, whether he cheated, whether he didn't cheat in Houston and Boston, I think everyone cheats still. So yeah. I I can't really judge him for that. I'm a little sour about the Astros situation because they beat my Yankees in seven in the championship series that year. Yeah. But overall, as an onlooker, um, to stay completely unbiased, everyone cheats. I don't think I can hate on the guy for that. Um, but let's move things along here before we wrap things up. I want to leave everyone with a bold prediction or two. So what do you have for me? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, my World Series prediction, and you and I were talking about it, I like the Padres and the Jays, and I'm going to stick with it. You know, on XM, I come in with these bowl predictions, and, you know, I'll stick with them. Hey, I went 10 months with a beer till my wife said, get rid of it. I said, I can't till the end of the year or phase four. Phase four is not coming anytime soon in L.A., so thank God the end of the year came. I got rid of the terrorist look, and now uh, I'm going to make another bowl prediction that the Padres and Jays will be in the World Series. I like it. I, I really do. I think these two are going to be on a collision course. Well, the bold part, I think, is more so with the Blue Jays. Not to say that the Padres can't will and that it's not bold because they have to deal with the Dodgers, but the Padres look like a team that easily could get there. Toronto, on the other hand, no one's really talking about them being a World Series contender. They're improved. They could challenge the division. That's kind of what you're hearing about Toronto. But the more you think about it, I mean, the lineup's as good as anybody's. You can't argue that. Well, not only... The yeah, bullpen's good, yeah, too. Yeah. The question marks right. come in the rotation. They don't have a lot of high-end pitching in that rotation, but we were talking about it. They have a lot of innings eaters in that rotation, and if they can get well, the I offense. Well, I also like to look, yeah, when you look at a team, I like to get in the trenches. Uh, I know in the uh, Super Bowl, everybody had 80% of the country had the Kansas City Chiefs, and I said on the XM, I said, I think Tampa's going to beat them in double digits. And they go, you, are you crazy? And I go, you know, I looked at Tampa coming in real hot, you know, and, and, and when I look at Toronto, I look at the same thing. They, they've, they've kind of built it up. They got generation players over there. You got Bichette, you got Guerrero, got some guys. You got a, Now you got Springer over there. You got, you got a good blend of, of, of guys uh, together. And then you look at their pitchers and that, that eat up innings. You got Ryu that can eat up innings. He was in the Cy Young talk last year. You got Stripling that'll lead up innings. Robbie Ray came over from Arizona. They signed him. I like him. So, you know, it, it, they're going to battle. Everybody's going to be talking the Yankees, you know, and the Rays. But I, I think you got to adjust your mirrors because Toronto's coming. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the White Sox and their young guns. And, you know, maybe the A's can do it again and all that. I keep saying, you know what, I'll give you the field. I'm taking Toronto because I think Toronto, you know, they might not be a household name and, and people are trying to get used to them. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm, I'm hanging my hat on Toronto. And as far as the National League goes, I mean, there's some teams that I'm putting up there that can give the Dodgers a run. I had, you know, Washington with their pitching. 
that can give them a run. Uh, Atlanta picking up Charlie Morton, but I just felt like the Padres top to bottom, starting pitching, you know, their relief pitching. I think uh, yeah, they're going to catch the Dodgers. And a bold prediction, I think they're going to win the division by five games. Well, there you have it. I was going to give a couple <laughs> bold predictions, but rather than that, I'm going to go with a bold World Series. It's going to be the Nationals and the White Sox. I think the White Sox, I think the White Sox being that young team, I think they have as much fire, if not more, than Toronto. I think they're positioned better because they don't have a Yankees or possibly Rays to deal with. Not that the Twins and Indians aren't good, but they're not the Yankees or the Rays, in my opinion. So I think they win that division handily. And with Washington, I think they'll be so battle-tested having to deal with such a great division with Atlanta, with the Mets. Even if they're a wild-card team, if they get by that wild-card game, I don't want to face that rotation in the playoffs. We saw what they did a couple years ago when they got there. I think they could do it again. Washington, White Sox, that is my World Series. But lay some final thoughts on me here, the show, some of the takes, whatever it might be, to talk to the listeners. Any final thoughts? I'll tell you one thing, and I'll let the listeners know. I'm going to have to pull out my T-shirt. I'm the Intercontinental Champion because the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to hold that title for the next uh, year. They won it last year as being the worst team in Major League Baseball. I think this year they'll be the worst team in Major League Baseball. They might battle the Colorado Rockies uh, for that distinction, but uh, I'm, I'm going to stick on that one. And Boy, I'm looking forward to what the listeners think. I'm looking forward to next week's show. I'm telling you, man, I am so honored and blessed to do a show with you on this uh, network with you, and uh, good things coming, my friend. Definitely. I'm very excited about it, and I hope the listeners enjoyed. We'll be back, of course, next week with a ton of baseball talk and maybe some other big-time news. Who knows what's going to happen in the next week. Thanks for tuning in to Intentional Bach. I'm Lou Landers with Mark Mancini, and folks, we'll catch you next time.